Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We've got an awesome show for you this week. Breaking news. As of today, Formula One has rejected the U.S. entry that is involving Andretti and General Motors. Uh, we have some opinions about that. Let's put it that way. Uh, and they are not mild. Uh, there's an electric Jeep Wagoneer. Uh, looks pretty good. Looks pretty sleek. We'll talk about that. Some updates to the Miata. General Motors is going back to hybrids. This is interesting. And there's a new Rivian coming up next month. Uh, we'll talk about what we've been driving, which includes an update of our long-term WRX. It's a lot of fun. I've been driving that through the snow. The electrified Genesis GV70 and the Kia EV9. We also will spend your money. And we have an update from an old friend who writes in with, uh, with an update. So let's get right into it. Senior editor for all things electric, John Snyder, joins me today. How you doing, man? I'm doing quite well. Uh, you know, we just got dumped on with snow, which has made driving fun. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. It is snowy. It is close to 40 degrees, though. Just took the yeah, dog through a walk in the woods, yeah. and it was melty, as you say. Cool. Do I do like you know when you know when it starts to get slushy and and you know, if you still got like my my road still has sort of a layer of compacted mm -hmm. snow almost ice underneath that slush so you can really you know get the tail out and and get some slush spraying up on the windows it's fun it's a lot of fun and we'll talk about that about how I'm doing it in the WRX don't oh, let man. me forget. Yeah. Uh, it's with the WRX, there's like three different ways you can approach the snow, like the actual snow, the slush, and then just the ice. And that's pretty good at all of them. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So we're recording this on Wednesday about noonish, little afternoon. And this morning, uh, Formula One has rejected uh, Michael Andretti's bid uh, to join the grid. Uh, they were looking to get in there um, in 2025 or 2026. And they basically have said, come talk to us again. Uh, three years, four years from now down the road, that's 2028, when GM, which supported the team, has an engine built. Now, they came out pretty, uh, in a very strongly worded statement, I would say. Uh, Formula One said that they think uh, the, in the entrance would not be competitive. Uh, they don't think the applicant would be a competitive participant. So they basically repeated themselves. And uh, they think it would be, here's a, this is, wow, damaging to the prestige and standing of the championship. Now, okay, yeah. So I think that's, you know, when this, this dropped, the story's on Autoblog. We have an opinion piece uh, coming later today. So by the time the podcast drops, which usually is on Friday, all this stuff will be out there. But I really think this is arrogant and short-sighted by Formula One. I think... Would the Andretti team have probably been competitive in its first year? Of course not. Expansion teams in any sport usually aren't. Um, and I think, frankly, the better move would have been to get out of the grid, you know, after that new car launches in 26. Like, I don't really know if being on there in 25 would have been the best move, but I don't think it would have been this injustice, this indignant outrage, the way the FIA, the way Formula One has sort of, responded. Now, look, everybody, life is hard. You know, you get strong <laughs> takes, you know, maybe some of this was boilerplate language, but I mean, what are they thinking? Big picture. It's just, it, it really seemed like a missed opportunity. You want to expand in the richest market, but one of the largest TV markets, you know, you don't think GM might've done something like, I don't know, buy a Super Bowl ad. 
It seems very <laughs> short-sighted and petty, almost. You know, it almost seemed anti-American the way they responded. So, well, yeah, I mean, with, with you know more races and more hype, uh, um, you know, in America around F one, it would make sense to bring in some more uh, American identity and uh, let them compete. Uh, <laughs> just let let them show what they can do. Um, and like you said, yeah, they might suck. If they suck, they suck. But uh, I mean, it, it's going to draw more interest to the program, and you know, draw more, draw more fans. Um, and it could could make for interesting racing. I don't just, I, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't like the way uh, FIA comes off in this. <laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of on brand for them, but. Um, and maybe it's just me uh, from my American uh, standpoint, but still, I I, th- I just think it would be good for the sport. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, it's I'm not saying, hey, give us a team because you want TV ratings. Like, I get that. But I do think this was an opportunity for the sport to grow globally and obviously a very, you know, uh, great opportunity here in this market. Um, and they're also totally assuming that the Andretti team was going to get out there and suck. Like, mm-hmm. to me, they're getting way ahead of it. You know, yeah. Yeah. sports and F1 in particular is littered with all sorts of different, you know, startups that have done well. So, I mean, they do lay that out in their case. They're like, well, historically, new manufacturers don't do well at first. Fair, but not always. You know, mm-hmm. again, it just it seemed very short-sighted, uh, parochial, uh, petty. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> those, are, those are good words for it. So this would have taken F1 to from 10 teams to 11. Um, you know, they did pass sort of an initial, like, technical check earlier. This always did seem, frankly, a little shaky. That was just my read-off, right, even when they announced it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like things were progressing. So the fact that they... You know, Formula One, the FIA has come out so strongly today. Uh, to me, I think it's it's a, it is a slap in the face, and it's I also I think it's frustrating. You know, I mean, I'm not saying I would have rooted for Andretti, you know, but it's just it's a common sense thing um, if you're trying to grow your sport and grow the branding. Um, and I think they're jumping, leaping, hurling to conclusions. Yeah. Uh, to make their argument, which it sounds like they said this wasn't involving the other teams. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, real. The, the, like, that's worth the paper this thing is printed on. So, you know. Well, um, it just, you know, if 20, 2028 comes around and Andretti does join then um, with, you know, GM uh, powertrain, um, this makes me more likely to root for them <laughs> and hope to like, you know, dominate and put them in their place just to, you know, just as a slap back on this, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you there. Like I, there's a lot of drivers I like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm half Italian. So I like Ferrari, you know, kind of like Alfa Romeo a little bit, but I mean, you want to talk about a team that struggled for, you know, quite a while. It oh just, yeah really seemed like they got selective here about like assuming things weren't going to go well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
we'll say kind of a frustrating day. Twitter is just Twitter slash X is just broken right now. Uh, if you're on it, looking at, you know, the outrage from different parts of the racing community, um, you know, I mean, they have every right to, you know, not let whoever they want into their club, if you will. It's, it reminds me a little bit of, I'm a pretty big football fan and there's like conference expansion and there's all these like teams you schools you would not think of are now in like other conferences like mm -hmm. the university of washington is going to play in the big 10 which yeah. kind of makes and, my head explode right and and oregon which i'm excited about both those teams that I, I me too actually. watching them and, and yeah. actually really like both those teams so it'll be fun to to see it but but yeah i i, I see what you're referring to there but so, i think it's a good thing you know yeah yeah, it, well, it, it, for what I'm also saying here, too, is I think Washington and Oregon and UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten is a great thing. I think it's mm -hmm. really good for the conference as a Big Ten grad, you know, and I think that's sort of what could have happened here with, you know, Formula One, you know. Yeah. But, so it goes. All right. So head over to Autoblog. By the time, uh, again, you're listening to this, we'll have uh, have some, you know, opinions up there. Uh, Road test Zach Palmer has thoughts. Uh, go check those out over the weekend. All right. So let's transition over to some sheet metal. The electric Wagoneer uh, just sort of parachuted out of the sky um, earlier this week. Looks pretty good. A little different than I thought it would look. It's um, it's pretty sleek. It uh, it honestly looks a little bit like a trailblazer, like a Chevy Blazer or even a Lexus. Yeah, uh, yeah. Different than I does. thought it would. Definitely does have that blazer vibe. It, it looks more um, Grand Cherokee than Wagoneer, which is good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think this looks a lot better. Um, yeah, I think it actually looks really good. Um, it does have that sort of uh, those blazer muscles, um, you know, those, those bulging fenders and whatnot. Um, and uh, I really, I really like that. What you can see of the face, that that front lighting um, looks really slick. But it still looks, uh, you know, the, the grill looks like maybe a little bit small for a Jeep, maybe a little bit understated. Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll wait until I see it in the flesh. But I think, um, you know, from the profile and these these interior shots, uh, it looks looks really nice. I'm really pleased with how this looks. Yeah, the interior, I think, is uh, could be something very impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeep has done a pretty good job with their interiors in recent years. So uh, in some ways, they've been more consistent than the exteriors where we've been, you know, they've been at more polarizing design, I think, in the last probably decade or so than perhaps Jeeps used to be. So yeah, this one's aggressive. I could see a lot of people perhaps not liking it. Um, it's a little tough. I know we say this all the time because of the press photos, but it's like a yeah. dark Jeep they showed. So cliche, but I, I think I kind of need to see it in real life first. But it's definitely a little more street looking than than sort of the off road vibe mm -hmm. that a lot of the other Jeeps give off, uh, regardless yes. of how off roady they are. It looks fast, so yeah. as opposed to like off road capable, but perhaps it'll be both six hundred horsepower. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be fun. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, this is going to be cool. As the uh, I always have liked Jeep massagers they're always quite good so ah, yeah. um yeah we'll see and uh you know i like the the macintosh audio system you, mm. can, you can sort of see that on display they've got the uh uh little 
uh, equalizer needle display sort of things going on in there. You can see it from sort of a distance. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be yeah, it's sticking with the sort of more upscale Jeep has gone, uh, especially with like the Wagoneer name um, in terms of interiors. So it'll it'll continue with that route too. But yeah, um, definitely looks looks like a hoot. All right, let's talk Miata. Uh, the MX-5 gets a lot of updates. Uh, it's interesting because I can see both of these, these, especially the Miata being shown at the Chicago Auto Show, uh, which apparently they won't be uh, as auto shows have continued to decline. I was at a auto show party celebrating the Miata's reveal. I forget what anniversary it was, but it was 10, 15 years ago. So do the math. And the original Miata was shown at the Chicago Auto Show. Uh, way back in whatever that was, late 80s, early 90s. So, um, and this is the exact kind of thing you would show there, I think. It's like a cool car with some updates. And this is, um, you know, this is not a new generation, but it's probably an update of this current generation. The ND, as we call it. Uh, Zach Palmer calls it the ND3, which I think is a pretty good way to put it out there in his write-up, which you can check out on there. Uh, some chassis updates, um, you know, different things with the, you know, the um, like stability control, a lot of under the skin stuff here. Uh, tweak the brakes a little bit, try to again, make the car handle better. Mm -hmm. There's some styling changes, but I don't really see them from the pictures. Apparently there's new LED lights. Um, we'll see. I haven't driven the Miata in probably two years, at least. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while, but. Man, if, if they can make it even better driving, you know, I, I, I always worry about when, when an automaker messes with a good thing, but, but, um, Mazda tends to really, uh, do a really good job of incrementally, uh, improving their driving dynamics of their vehicles. And, um, yeah, so Mazda says it's going to have smoother steering with, uh, a more defined on center feeling, which I, I don't mind that. Um, and then, in, in Mazda's words, greater precision as the front tires are loaded up under hard cornering. Sounds perfect for a little roadster. Um, you know, that's that we always already sort of uh, appreciate its its handling. Um, yeah, if you can improve things incrementally here and there, yeah, do it. Uh, I know Mazda's always sort of followed a sort of uh, gram strategy where they, you know, it, they look closely at the details to see what they can improve bit by bit, where they can take out some weight, where they can, you know, improve the the, the handling. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I think these li these little improvements might not um, strike you uh, after just coming out of you know the pre refresh, but um, you know if you go back you know, to the, the beginning of the generation or last generation. Um, if you could do like a vertical tasting of, of, of Miata's, I'm sure it would, um, come through in that sort of drive. Yeah. Can't wait to drive this one. Hopefully, uh, get through our fleet here just in time for summer when some of the slush and snow melts. So, uh, it'll be a fun one. It will be. All right. So it was earnings season, uh, last week and this week and GM announced their earnings. Um, they made money, uh, too long, don't read, um, but not as much as they did before. 
And one of the things, though, that they mentioned that caught our attention is CEO Mary Barr mentioned that they will um, begin investing in hybrids again, uh, which is something that they moved away from as they went um, all in on the all electric field. I think you kind of got to pick pick your battles and things like the Chevy Volt, you know, went by the wayside. But um, Barra says that a plug in hybrid, um, perhaps several are in the offer, uh, are going to be in the hopper coming up. And I think this is a pretty good move. I think it's a good interim play. And I think they're also, you know, definitely hedging their bets in the event yeah. of, you know, some upheaval in the political and economic spaces. For sure. Yeah, there's definitely some hedging going on, <laughs> uh, especially with some of the difficulty they've had just producing EVs. Yeah. Um, automakers in general, you know, have been sort of complaining. Um, and and dealers have been complaining too. I don't know if that's the fault of just consumers don't want EVs or dealers just aren't uh, trying hard enough to sell them, aren't, yeah. you know, educating themselves on the product enough. I don't know. Um but uh, I think uh, a plug-in hybrid, you know, regardless of, of the motivations with, behind putting out uh, more plug-in hybrids, I think it's a good thing if, if it means you'll sell more of those than, uh, and fewer uh, pure internal combustion vehicles. Um, the more miles, and this is what Toyota has been saying all along in their EV slash hybrid strategy, the more miles you can, you can get out there in the world on electric power the better whether it's you know coming from a hybrids battery or an ev um you know if if you're going to get five people into plug-in hybrids where you'd only get one into an ev you know it's uh and you could still get, maybe get that one into an ev that that makes uh, a lot more sense just from a an emissions and, and fleet standpoint and um you know, decarbonization. So I think, uh, regardless of, of what their motive is behind it, I think it's a it's a good move overall. Yeah, I agree. I I'm looking at this. Uh, there's a story in the Free Press about this Detroit Free Press with Bob Lutz, uh, Maximum Bob, unveiling yeah, the original Volt like concept. <laughs> He's still kicking. He had his 90th birthday, I think, uh, over the summer, and it showed up on some so- social feeds and a lot of. A lot of people, famous car people were at it. And uh, here he is back in 2007 unveiling it, um, looking rather dapper. Mm-hmm. And I was at that reveal. I remember. I was, um, yeah, man, I remember that. It was, uh, I ended up writing about the actual, like, reveal of the production vault, which was in the fall of 2008. So, like, a year plus later. And a lot of people said, wow, boy, this really kind of lost its mojo uh, en route to production. Because you look at this concept, and yeah, it's got 17 years old. I can't believe that. Um, <laughs> but and then you look at what the Volt kind of became, and it was you know, definitely a little, little more homely, if you will. Um, so uh, it just was the Volt concept was cool. And I, you think they could bring back the Volt? The only bad part of it would be confusing with the Bolt. It's the only yeah. downside to it. But <laughs> yeah. a Volt plug-in hybrid. We don't want to go through that all over again. <laughs> but I, yeah. I think I think I don't know if they bring back 
the vault, um, you know, in the format that it was, I think yeah. you, you just have to build something a little bigger now. But um, I mean, I remember when the when the vault went away and how badly we lamented it. We loved that thing, and yeah. uh, we're sad to see it go. And and uh, yes, they were moving on to their uh, Bev strategy, but um, it was sad to see them leave. Uh, such a great car like the Volt behind when they were pioneers uh, in plug-in hybrid uh, technology. So I'm glad to see GM stepping back into that for sure. Uh, they were one of the first to do it. They did it uh, really well, and um, yeah, they've they've had a ton of experience since then with um, electrification in general. So uh, yeah, I will be looking forward to. Driving a plug-in hybrid, um, I don't know anything. Then the new Camaro might be a good yeah candidate for it. Yeah, I think um, lost in some of the noise that surrounds electric vehicles or staying only gas is the vast sort of different options that lie in between from hybrids to plug-in hybrids um, that can be very useful for a lot of different people. I drove the Prius. Uh, it was about six weeks ago now, I guess. Really enjoyed it. I can see how that can work for a lot of different people. And, um, you know, I spent my entire uh, holiday vacation basically in electrics, which was great. Loved it. Had some challenges with the charging, which is to be expected. Um, but I can see how some people like, we all have only so much like the situations that we try and navigate through life. And we all have probably just so much bandwidth for problem solving and troubleshooting. And perhaps your car isn't something you have time to like troubleshoot. You just want to like gas it up, then maybe charge it up and then not think about it for a week. So that's where a hybrid can be brilliant. So I think the move would probably be for them not to rebuild the bolt, but make a blazer hybrid or Equinox hybrid or Camaro hybrid. Um, yeah something like that it's also uh, plug-in hybrids are, are a better um solution for a lot of uh single car households mm -hmm. too yeah uh, they need something that's going to do all the roles that they can you know, be efficient around town and then uh, you know drive across the country <laughs> on yeah. a, a long road trip to go see the family or whatever um without having to really worry about it uh yeah. you know so, someone like me uh my household we have a gas car my my second car would be a an ev and and probably will be here soon we've talked about that previously um i think the last time i was on the podcast we talked a bit about that but um but yeah if, if it were just you know a single person or a one car household especially if you're sort of rural mm -hmm. uh, you know, it might be tough to to get by on an EV. I mean, probably not as tough as you think, but definitely uh, tough enough that it'd make you think twice about buying one. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's tricky. Uh, and then there's also, I think you face, um, not just with EVs, like understanding charging and things like that, which, you know, even for us as car journalists, it takes a little bit to figure out, you know, I don't want to go to this level two charger and then think I'm going to get, you know, fast charging capability. Like there's an educational curve. And with hybrids, it's a little bit the same way, because I think one of the challenges about the old Volt is I don't think people necessarily used it the right way. You know, 
like they'd let it run down and then forget about it. Or, and this is perhaps the case for plug-in hybrids writ large, mm-hmm. is, you know, people just didn't really use them exactly the right way, which is more on the manufacturers to sort of educate, if you will. Yeah. Um, but that's, there's a trickiness. And that's where you see things like, again, the Prius. You know, you could get a regular regular hybrid or go with the Prime, which gives you like, what, 30 miles or so or more of electric range plug-in and you just pick which kind of Prius do you want. And I think that'd be a great model for General Motors to follow. Mm-hmm. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I feel like end up using their plug-in hybrids just as regular hybrids. They don't plug them in as often yeah. as they, they'd like. Maybe the garage is full, maybe, you know, it's just cold and they don't want to deal with the uh, unraveling the, the charging cable or, you know, they live in an apartment that don't don't have a good spot to plug it in that sort of thing i found when i would be driving the different jeep four by e's that i could really get some efficiency out of those you know you Mm -hmm. i don't have a charger but i could sometimes use a trickle charger or i would go to like the mall where there'd be like a bank of chargers Mm -hmm. you're at the mall for a few hours you get something to eat i mean you're not going to necessarily top yourself off but it's just all that feeds into it and next thing you know, you're not even filling the Jeep up hardly ever. Yeah. So, and, and that's another benefit about having the actual plug rather than a regular hybrid. Lots of times you get uh, premium parking spots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of times they'll have oh, yeah. uh, EV spots right by the door. <laughs> yeah. You just plug in and, and you know, there you are. You're taking advantage of, of the electricity and, and taking advantage of the excellent parking. I forget where I was, but I had a hybrid, uh, excuse me, an all electric car. And I just, I, you know, I was, I think I had just turned the EV in and something else was coming from the press fleet. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, look at these rows of like free chargers. And we had to go all the way up to the top of this parking structure. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's, that's, what was I thinking here? So, so it goes. All right. So staying with EVs, let's talk about what appears to be the RS2. Uh, this is a smaller SUV. Um, we're going to get a worldwide product launch, as our headline says, uh, coming out on March uh, 7th, so about six weeks from now. You know, Rivian currently has two vehicles, the R1S and the R1T. Uh, they're both fairly good-sized vehicles, the truck and the SUV, uh, both quite interesting to drive. Uh, we know very little about what this thing will be, um, but... The CEO, RJ Scaringe, has uh, been teasing this on social media uh, for a while. Uh, so you can see those out there. And then the most recent kind of teaser is kind of a squared off, you know, car, truck, SUV thing. It's an SUV with, you know, wrapping over it. Uh, it looks like he's talking to the designer. So, um, you know, this this will be interesting. I think... Uh, they're going to do it in uh, the at the South Coast Theater. It sounds like uh, Laguna Beach. So if you're in the area, it sounds like that's what's going on. Yeah, I would love to see Rivian come out with more products. Um, man, I have been seeing Rivians all over yep. the place. Not just here in Michigan, but when I, when I travel anywhere in in the United States, I see them everywhere. Um, and, and you know. I'll, Staying in Arizona with with my uh, sister in law and brother in law, uh, my brother in law was like, "What do you think of this Rivian company?" I'm like, 
oh, you're starting to see those too, huh? And so, and sure enough, you know, we went driving around. There's there's Rivians at the at the Starbucks, Rivians at the at the movie theater. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I I'll be excited to see more products, especially uh, with a little bit lower price tags. Um, seeing as there's an R2 coming out uh, as an SUV, probably. Uh, could be the R2S would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I sure hope they come out with an R2T. <laughs> that, oh man, that would be neat. That uh, I mean, that's right into the segment that the where it's red hot. You know, I yeah. imagine the R1T isn't huge. I would no. say it's like it's not like a midsize truck, but I would say it's like in between a Silverado and a Colorado. Without yeah. getting out the, the rulers, if you will, but just <laughs> from a, a rough silhouette and also like mission, what, mm-hmm. you know, that the R1T does, uh, it kind of slots right in there, which to me is the perfect size. It's a really, yeah. you know, really interesting truck. Um, I'm excited for this. I think this is going to be cool. I do too. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how much they change the styling from the, from the R1S. Um, I imagine that they won't just make a smaller carbon copy, even though from from this sort of photo of it under wraps, it does kind of look like that same uh, boxy shape very much. Uh, uh, I hope that they give it enough of its own identity that the R1S owners still feel like they've got something special. Cool. All right, so come back to us on March 7th. We'll, we'll have the story. Should be cool. I think... Mm-hmm. Um, Rivians have been among the more interesting vehicles I've driven in the last couple of years. They really stand out. Uh, just that, like sometimes you drive a cool car, you don't even remember it, which sounds cliche, but it's also like the job. You take notes, you're on to the next one. But I can honestly remember like vividly the R1T and the R1S both times, and um, they're pretty cool. I think Heck, I'll- I, re- I remember the first time seeing one in, in uh, on the road. You know, it was a it was a prototype. I live kind of right down the road from their headquarters. Yeah. Uh, and so c- coming in and out of Ann Arbor, every once in a while I'd see an R1T prototype go by and, and yeah, that stuck with me. And I still point them out even, even when I start seeing, you know, multiple in a day in places that aren't Michigan, I'm still pointing them out because they're, they're cool. So hot take right now, their two vehicle lineup is better than Tesla's like four or five vehicle lineup. Would you agree or disagree? Mm. I don't think I don't think they've got enough of the the bases covered. Um, uh, when they have when they have uh, something affordable, you know, th- yeah, then fair. then let's talk. Fair, yeah, it's a good way to put it. My the point I'm trying to make, perhaps a straw man argument here, is that you got a trucky guy and SUV. People like mm-hmm. those, and they make they're true. more expensive than small sedans. Uh, true, true. And if you took the badge off. What do you think most Americans would rather drive? Uh, yeah. A boxy crossover or a small crossover or a small sedan? So, yeah, just, Point you know, you. I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> and like you, I see a lot of them and people ask me about them. They're almost mm-hmm. like the Tesla alternative. Like, yeah, I've thought about electrics. I've thought about Tesla. I don't know how I feel about what the CEO says and does and everything he's doing these days. But this Rivian company, they've got this boxy SUV. It looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So it's 
That's literally the thought process people say to me. And then they say something like, well, I don't know if I drive enough to spend, you know, whatever the sticker price is on like an entry level one, which is not yeah. cheap. It's like 60, 70. So yeah. All right. So that's Rivian. Let's talk about Kia and the EV9, which you drove out in California. Mm -hmm. I drove it in Metro Detroit uh, about a month ago. Well, what did you think? I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, uh, it translates really well from, from the Palisade in terms of, of the, what it serves. You know, it's a, it's a practical three row SUV that isn't necessarily off-roady um, and uh, is actually comfortable in all three rows. Um, but it also happens to be, you know, a, a, a very quick, uh, high mileage EV um, with some really neat styling. And then they they took a lot of things, a lot of thinking, I think, from from like the Kia Carnival um, it, with those reclining seats. I know you can get those in like the EV6 and Hyundai i5, but to have those in the in the second row uh, captain's chairs and have those uh, really cozy VIP lounge seats is what they were called in the carnival. Here they call them um, relaxing comfort seats. Um, that's a really nice thing. It's sort of like a, a almost like a minivan with um, you know doors that don't slide open um, and maybe a little little taller. Uh, definitely feels spacious like a minivan on the inside uh the third row uh you know not quite as wide as a minivan's third row it only seats two in the third row but boy you've got tons of headroom tons of legroom i i was able to i i, I set the the driver's seat in my driving position i'm i'm six foot tall for reference set the second row seat in a comfortable position behind that and then was able to get in the third row and feel very comfortable behind that uh, so that was that was really cool. Uh, lots of neat little features, like um, in the upper trims, there's a little drawer that pulls out from the rear of the center console that can you know it's, it's pull it out. It's like a shelf, and then you pu push that top part back, and then it's like this nice little cubby. Um, that'd be a great place to stash things uh, that I wish we had that in our Palisade, where we could put wipes and fruit snacks things for the kids that they're always asking for um but yeah just also you know really good to drive i only drove the, the top gt line um which is really quick <laughs> it it definitely you know su surprisingly quick for for how big it is um a lot of the useful tech um from from the other uh, Hyundai Kia models, uh, the, the safety tech, uh, the, the rear view, the digital rear view camera, which is great if if you're going to load it up all the way with with cargo and kids. Um, the you know blind spot monitor uh, camera view, which is also really helpful. Um, things like that. Uh, no like AR head up display, uh, so well. Fewer gimmicks. They do still have a fingerprint sensor um, that you can use um, to load up your driver profile if you've got different people driving it, or um, as a way if you put it on valet mode and want to take it off valet mode, you can use your fingerprint to, to take it off of valet mode. That sort of thing. Um, phone is key. Uh, you know the the 
the digital digital key, the, the latest version of that, where you can text someone uh, a key if, if you know, like, hey, I need you to stop by my work and pick up the card and take it in. Whatever. Here, I'm going to text, text you the key, and then you can revoke it at any time. Um, so lots of little convenient things like that. Um, very well thought out. Uh, I think it looks cool, too. Uh, looks looks different. Um, uh, kind of boxy. Uh, which I like, uh, surprisingly aerodynamic for how boxy it is. But um, yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's they they could have gone cheaper with it, um, but then they wouldn't have had left in all the standard content that they that they have. They just they just pack this the, the base models. They have lots of lots of uh, good safety and convenience content in it, and I don't think they want to. Um, water that down so it, it does you know start a little higher but um but still it's it's compared to like the r1s or or um you know the the model x or the mercedes uh eqs suv it's it's a uh, quite the bargain and it still feels quite premium yeah i, I agree with you i I think it's creative. I think the design is very, uh, uh, it's cool for lack of a better way to put it. It's, you know, it's, it definitely gets that kind of boxiness, uh, that element to make people feel like they're driving something special or different. All the mm -hmm. metrics, the range, you know, line up. And I like the interior. I thought the interior, you did a very good job of explaining all the different features. I just thought it was a nice place to spend time too. Yeah. Like the materials were cool. Uh, it was pretty big in there uh and just having a mainstream three-row suv that's all electric i think is a major achievement yeah and they all from the, from the base level on up have that synthetic leather um interior which is very nice um yeah definitely a good place to spend time especially if you can turn on the massaging seat uh it, the, i i think only you can only get the massaging seat in the driver driver's seat uh, but you can get heated and ventilated second row um yeah if, if you're waiting on a charge and it's a you know it's got the 800 volt architecture so it, it also charges very quickly um you know 10 to 80 percent in, in 24 minutes on the on the uh big battery models so uh 24 minutes perfect amount of time to you know turn on the the heated seat recline it pull your lunch out of that little drawer and eat it and then uh, get back on your way. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait to spend more time in this, uh, especially given the you know the pure range. It'd be a good summer road trip vehicle because you can definitely plan ahead to where you might be um, within mm -hmm. reason. So it's it obviously can charge quickly. Um, yeah, when you consider that Kia and Hyundai had never really made three row SUVs, not only have they made them, you own one, they. Are making electric ones that's remarkable yeah yeah for sure and it's it's something i would consider uh replacing the palisade with um if you know it would be my wife's uh daily driver um and she uses it to get up north quite a bit so with with full of kids and dogs so waiting waiting at the um charger is not an ideal situation in that case but you know if you have 300 four miles of range i think it is 
uh, our cottage four hours away is 250 miles, um, but that's all highway driving, and that'd be you know good weather. You you may have to stop once um, along the way just to be safe, um, which isn't wouldn't be too bad. We usually do that anyway on our way up to stop yeah, and true. get everyone something to eat um, or to or to pick up things that we don't have at the cottage, some some groceries or, or whatnot. That's where. Um, you, yeah, go ahead. But you know. It, I would rather have my EV be my smaller get around town car, okay. you know, mostly. But if I'm, I'm doing, if I was going to do a two EV household, it'd be perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. Uh, you could go all <laughs> EV, two EV household. It's, I think that's where the beauty of like the route you described, where like, you know, where you're going, you know, where like your charger is, you know, where your backup charger is, you know, there might be one at say a grocery store. Like that's where a, you know, a large EV can be very beneficial because mm-hmm. it's, you know, you're very familiar with the terrain. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it would definitely work for 99% of what we need to do with it and, and not be too much of a pain. All right. Well, I guess, I mean, Hyundai Motor Co. is really getting into EVs, obviously, as we all know. So let's talk about another one. This is yeah. the electrified Genesis G70. GV70. Uh, GV70. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually drove this a gosh, it was almost a year ago now. I can't believe it. Um but you drove it more recently. So what did you think? Yeah, it's in my driveway right now. Um I've been driving it in, in all this snow and uh been using the snow mode, which is great. It um, is. It, it keeps it really stable. You can put it in something else and and you know it'll it'll play a little bit and then the traction control will kick in, but with the the snow mode and distributing the, the the power between the front and rear axles it, it just does a very good job of keeping things nice and stable but um really nice looking vehicle really attractive uh you know when i drop the kids off at school people are commenting asking what is that is that you know um it's a genesis oh yeah i forgot that that's a thing <laughs> and, uh is it electric yeah but there's a there's a gas one too um and but yeah it, it looks cool um uh, very comfortable inside uh you know take the kia ev9 and elevate that a little bit with with uh some nice materials uh more detail in the design um and uh yeah very comfortable the second row you know it's a little smaller than I expected it to be with a front facing child seat behind me. Um, my, my daughter is, uh, you know, kicking the seats for sure. Um, her, if she's wearing boots, her feet are getting stuck. So I'm always moving my, my seat up a little bit, um, to accommodate for her. Um, Parenthood. But, yeah, but, uh, you know, you, you take a little of that, but you get a little more in, in cargo room. There's a really nice, big, flat load floor. Um, put a lot of stuff in there. Uh, pretty deep. Um, yeah, I, I loaded it up with groceries. It was, it was pretty great. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's again, this is another one that's surprisingly quick. You can uh, get on the, put it in sport mode put on the gas or not the gas, the accelerator. Um, Got to get used to not calling it the gas. Um, 
And man, this thing just shoots off. My kids kept asking me to do it again and again. Uh, you know, if you're doing it through a corner, you get a little wheel spin. Um, not too much, it stays stable, but it just feels really fun. Um, so smooth and quiet, just really, really, really nice. It took me a while to find the charging port on it. <laughs> uh, it's it's hidden behind uh, part of the the panel where the grill would be um, and it blends in perfectly you know you're looking for the cutout like you would uh, like a, a fuel flap on, on a normal car or you know the, where the charge port is on most EVs and this is you know tucked up completely blended into the into the grill so it took a little bit to find that and then I had the thing where um, I went out to to take the kids to school and I couldn't get the charger to unplug. <laughs> I had to go in through the menu and it was set on, um, and no matter what I did with unplugging, unlocking the car, turning it on, nothing would get to release. You go into the menu and turn off the, the thing that says locked while charging. And then, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Did and you then, hear about my story with the GV60? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> it, and that, you know, wasted like, 10 minutes of my morning just fooling around trying to do that while getting the kids in the car and like just trying to get out of there having to go into the menu and but once it's turned off i, I a know how to do it and b never have to do it again <laughs> so. yeah man i don't know why they have that feature it is infuriating did you know it was turned on like initially or did you know it engaged no no it was yeah, I didn't that, that, that's just how it was set from the previous uh, you know, when they, when they dropped it off. So I turned it off and it stays off once yeah. you turn it off uh, until you turn it back on again. I wish, I mean, most EVs, you just hit the unlock button and it yes. unlocks it, which that makes sense to me. That makes perfect sense. But. Super frustrating. It was <laughs> a real pain. And it seems to happen with across the Hyundai Motor Co. Uh, yeah. EVs. Yeah. But I mean, that was that and finding the charge for it were, were two little, you know, beginner problems that um you know once i knew about them there won't be a problem again and uh other than that yeah really love driving it really love driving it um it feels very executive very luxurious um it's nice it's nice the kids love it too wally loves having you know heated seats in the back too everybody kids all always love the heated seats they really yeah do. it's um <laughs> Uh, my son liked the massaging seats in different cars too. Yeah. Um, I'm like, dude, you got to get in your car seat. You can't just sit there getting a hot stone <laughs> massage while we ride around. Like, this isn't how this works, man. But uh, yeah. Nope. Yeah, not for a couple more years anyway, until you're out of that booster. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, Wally just got out of his booster uh, this past summer, which is. Um, it's a milestone. Been great for him because he he gets to enjoy the luxuries of the car and great for us. Cause we don't have to tote a, a booster seat around. And now while he can sit in whatever seat he wants without having to drag that seat from you know the second row to the third row or whatever. Mm, yeah. It's a good move. Yeah. You're getting old, man. You're getting old. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so bad. All right. So I guess I should talk about the WRX. That's what oh, yeah. I'm still driving. Can't uh, wait to hear about it, man. 
It is. So I have a long-term update. It went up uh, again uh, on Friday. So if you're listening to this on the weekend, the story went up. Uh, ours is bright orange. It's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun to drive. I, uh, I've talked about this a couple times now on the show. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it sort of lives up to the hype and the, like, the mission, the legend of what it, uh, what it should be, if you will. Um, it's, you know, I, I, it's intense. That's the word I'm looking for. It's been <laughs> intense for the last few weeks. It's just been an absolute tractor through the snow. That's been great. Oh, it's yeah. fun, like driving in the snow with a stick shift too, because it's so rare. Yeah. Um, you know, drop it in second gear and fishtail around corners. Um, the the only rough thing is it's it's very it's a pretty low to the ground car, so you can plow through the snow, you can plow over the top of the snow. But it's really rough when like you're kind of sinking into the slush and then like literally the slush is going around the car because yeah. it's so low. Um, definitely. I was like, am I going to high side this thing on some of these different slush mountains? Uh, so there's there's that uh, Boxer four, the turbo. It's everything. You know, uh -huh. you remember it's coarse as hell. It's <laughs> the whole thing is really loud. Yeah. Um, for all I was convinced I was getting a headache um, from driving the car. Um, I think I just have a headache, which is a different set of issues, but, um, it's been a lot of fun, man. And I like the, I've always kind of preferred the WRX to the STI. I feel mm -hmm. like the STI yeah. is just a little bit too much for me for more than just like driving it for a morning. So I've been really liking it. Agreed. I, I, I feel the same way about the WRX and the STI. Um, I can't wait to get in this one. I haven't driven this, this one yet. Um, you're a WRX owner formerly. Yeah, I had my 04 WRX that I bought new. I had it for over a decade, uh, well over a decade. Uh, and man, I miss, miss that car so much, mostly because of how fun it was to drive in the snow. And, um, you know, I, I think about, you know, I could get another WRX someday and have my, but it wouldn't be the same, you know, the, with all the new modern stability tech and stuff maybe it wouldn't you know be so rambunctious in the snow as the other one but then i i drove an outback a couple of weeks ago in the snow and it was you know that thing came to life as soon as the the pavement got slippery um in a, in a really good way um uh, so even these modern subarus are, are are still fun in the snow is it's great to hear um but yeah i'm really looking forward to to driving um the new one this is the first time in a, in a while that i've um sort of considered the a modern you know a, a contemporary wrx as something i might prefer prefer to um you know that first gen um so yeah looking forward to to getting in it and uh, it's nice that it's orange people can see it in the snow <laughs> Oh man, it's bright orange. People see it coming. Um, and that's, I think that's a good thing. You know, the other option was blue, which had uh, that very Subaru blue. Yeah. Um, Rally blue. But I, I, but honestly, I'm glad we got the orange. I don't know. I have no regrets on that. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, the blue is very common. Um, and man, I, I wish they'd bring back that, uh, that yellow they used to have. That was, that was great. Maybe they maybe they have uh, and I just missed it, but uh, 
that they used to have that really fun bright yellow on the WRX back in the day. Sort of yeah. like sort of like the Rivian yellow on the the on Rivian the yellow yeah. is, is something. Yeah, it's a similar yellow to that. I like that quite a bit. But I I went with the blue, uh, just because it it was the Subaru thing to do, the very WRX thing to do. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's. I was looking back at my sort of history with the WRX. We had a long termer. You might remember this. I think you might have been freelancing here at the time. A long termer back in like fifteen ish. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a good one. We put a fair amount of miles on it. Got rear ended on six ninety six. Uh, <laughs> it took some hits. It had those gold Sparco wheels. Yeah, <laughs> we still have those wheels. Did you know that? I do. I do. Well, we put them. We ended up putting those on the. Uh... Our long-term Forester a couple of years oh, right. ago because yeah. they, they, they happen to fit. They barely <laughs> fit. Yeah, they look good though. Um, that was a great car. And I, when I was actually at Auto Week, we had an STI, which was my first sort of indoctrination into like what an STI, what a WRX could be. Mm-hmm. And that man, that thing would rip your head off. You know, that was that was really something. It it was an STI. The thing that I didn't like about it was. Yeah, you would get tired. Yeah, uh, over a long drive. Uh, you know, I drove one down to Hocking Hills a few years ago, and and just th- those three four hours of driving on the highway that you know even in the highest gear, it's still you know droning at fairly high RPMs, and it's loud and it's a lot of vibration. And it's like like when you're boating, you, you just get tired <laughs> just just from just from the the sound and the, and the and the vibration of it and, and the STI is the same way um, really fun on a track though <laughs> really fun on a track or, or uh, you know on a dirt track too uh, you know, if you can get it sort of off I've driven some in uh, on a, I think 2011 um, took one on they built this big mud track on the side of this hill Man. for us and got to drive that around that was that was pretty cool and yeah uh, like you said, good in the snow. I did the Subaru winter driving experience a few years back. Oh, cool. Um, in the WRX, the STI, and the BRZ, all with Ooh, uh, wow. st- studded tires on them out on this frozen lake. Um, I still think the WRS, WRX was the best. I mean, the, the BRZ was, was really fun <laughs> on, on studded tires on the ice. But the WRX was still just, I mean, it's just so well balanced. It's just, yeah, it just combines, takes the best of, of, you know, all the worlds and, and just puts it there in front of you and, and doesn't, you know, sap your energy from you in the process. Now, the, uh, they said a year ago, over a year ago, that they were not going to develop an STI again. So we'll, we'll see if, Perhaps down the road that somehow changes, but for now, the WRX you could go with like the GT or the TR, which news editor Joel yeah. Stocksdale drove uh, in Sicily. So and you- then there there are the the companies like uh, ProDrive that Byron Renton drove there. Uh, basically, what would be an STI, um, and you can you can probably buy a WRX and, and mod it yourself. You could. With, with with enough cash and, and turn it into basically an STI, but I think the the package that it is uh, as it stands is 
just very sort of a sweet spot. You can definitely, to your point, turn up the wick on a WRX and get pretty close to perhaps what an STI would be in this day and yeah. age. Um, to me, the intensity of the STI was just the way all of the elements of it, from like the seats to the 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 way the transmission, the mm -hmm. shifts were tight. Uh, the clutch was super heavy, which of course it is in the Rex. Um, the huge wing, like it was just all of it made driving it like a total workout. Yeah. Uh, whereas the Rex, you can, it's a workout. You're tired. It's not comfortable, but yeah. you can breathe a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's still a little rough around the edges. I, I, I haven't, you know, driven this one yet, but uh, if, if it's anything like previous ones, there's, you're going to get some thrash through the, yeah, the okay. transmission. <laughs> and, uh, that's a good way to uh, put it. Some thrash. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's all, it's all good fun. Yeah, it's nothing too extreme. All right. So let's have some good fun and spend some money. That's podcast at autoblog.com. We'd love to answer your questions. If you have a mailbag question, let's do that too. So first an update from Sean in Fort Collins, Colorado. Greg, this is for you and Zach. After listening to my questions about the LC500, I ordered a 2024 coupe today. I went with this. Yeah, the Cloudburst Gray with a black red interior. That sounds great. Uh, dynamic dynamic handling pack, uh, as well as the heads-up display. Uh, Mark Levinson Audio, dash cam. He went with every box except the dog first aid kit. Nothing against dogs. I just don't have one. So good purchase. Glad to hear we can help you out. All right. And then we have uh, a new question. So let's, let's get into that. Uh, a friend of Autoblog drives a Cadillac S XTS uh, that was bought used for $25,000. Had it for years but it's time to go. Needs that same kind of car for the nature of uh, his job. Uh, basically, he says there's no big Cadillac sedans anymore, which is true. Uh, he drove the XT6, which is the crossover, found it boring, wants to stick with the sedan. Uh, he drove the CT5 and said it was too small. Uh, the writer is uh, an executive uh, in a, a large company in the Midwest. The parking place is highly visible, which means having a domestic car uh, would be better for public relations is basically uh, the question put for us. So what we're trying to do is find a large domestic sedan or something that I guess, you know, could be um, in flies place of that. Yeah, it flies a little under the radar compared to the Germans. Yeah. So basically, if you rolled <laughs> up in a 7 Series, that might raise some eyebrows. <laughs> so um, I went hard on the CT5 because I think that's the closest thing you could get. Yeah, a couple other options here, but I don't want to take all the options because there's only like two or three. <laughs> what do you think? Um, well, I mentioned the Volvo S90. I I like that. Uh, it's already like I mean not already. It's it's starting to feel pretty old. You know, it needs it needs an update. Um, but I mean, if you're buying used, um, yeah, yeah, it's certainly fine. Um, I I, I quite like the, the S90 actually um let's see there's the i mean the, the genesis g80 or g90 um a little bit flying under the radar not as flashy so there's that uh mentioned the he drove the uh xt6 uh found it boring um and wants to stick with a sedan although if you did want to dabble back into uh crossover area the lincoln aviator 
would be a good that's a really uh, good one a, a, a sort of fun alternative to, to the xd6 um and finally if you want to go electric and american and big sedan tesla model s that's um, true yeah. there's a there's a ton of them out there you get a ton of range um you know no one's gonna look funny at you for for uh you know not buying something made in america when you when you live in the midwest i mean that's that's a thing yeah. <laughs> i don't know if anyone if everyone everywhere realizes that but especially like here in michigan that that's a thing you feel really sort of out of place uh in, in certain places um driving a foreign vehicle like up up north or up north in the palisade everything else is domestic <laughs> we are the only for a car in the, in the parking lot of the Tom's grocery. Um, yeah, I had that same experience in the Hyundai Palisade myself when we had the long-termer. So, but uh, a Tesla, you know, it's true. Made, made right here in the darn U S of A and, yeah. and uh, liked by uh, people of all stripes. So I think, um, yeah, I think, well, a little bit of an update. Before we had a chance to even read this on the air, uh, the, the writer went out and got uh, an XT6. So we, already, wow. <laughs> we we now know the answer to the question, um, which, you know, that's, I, I think the thing about a Cadillac is it is a Cadillac, you yeah. know, and that definitely uh, carries a certain gravitas. Um, you know, I think a CT6 would have been great. The CT5 is what I would have done, frankly, if yeah. you want to go sedan you can still get all-wheel drive it's not as big as you know perhaps this like the ct6 which nominally competed with the 7 series mm -hmm. you do get like especially in a domestic leaning area but really anywhere cadillac does still have that brand halo so i think that'll work i think the xt6 is you know going to do the job just fine outside of the sedan segment to your point the lincolns are really good i think that would have worked a used continental was one other option that kind of came to mind and i think they're hard to find but that's a great car too uh it was only briefly in the press fleet <laughs> it was only briefly produced it seemed like um yeah so there's, it's a small field but you've got some options um and for once we actually have like an epilogue as we you know discuss it in real time so yeah we always um, got to wait a while to get an answer if we get an answer at all so yeah that was we, cool Love, love hearing back. Um, always love hearing what people get. Love. And uh, man, yeah, that that LC five hundred, uh, Sean, you're gonna love that. <laughs> yeah, it that's gonna be great. That was just, uh, I believe that was just last week, uh, last week or two weeks ago. So that's glad to see it worked out. That is such a great car. It's gonna be, oh, it's, it's a collector's car at this point. It uh, is it's sublime, man. It is sublime. It just drives so well it's a rocket <laughs> all right well if you enjoy the auto blog podcast that's five stars on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get the show please send us your spend my money's at the podcast at autoblog.com thanks for hanging out this week john and yeah, thanks for having me. yeah always a pleasure be safe out there see you next week